wanted to imitate, but they didn't even know how to go about doing it. And so they asked him, beyond the miracles, beyond the teachings, even though they did ask for understanding of the parables, but teach us to pray, teach us to pray, so we know how to do it, and we know as we read through the book of Acts and the disciples learn how to pray, because the early church was a church that was saturated and founded in prayer. Why should we spend so much time on it? If we can read it in a couple of verses, why spend seven, nine, ten weeks on prayer? We could probably spend the rest of this year on this one subject, to be honest with you. But why spend so much time? Well, first, I doubt there's a person in this room that has enough pride to say that their prayer life is where it should be. Even the greatest prayer warriors that I've encountered in my life have this inner desire and longing to want to be deeper into the presence of God and deeper in their prayer life. So no matter where we are, this, this series of breaths is how we can get deeper into our prayer life. Secondly, prayer is going to tune our hearts and tune the heart of this church to the heart of God. Prayer is what opens our eyes, our ears, our minds, our hearts to understand what God is doing, where God is doing it, and what He wants us to be doing in the midst of it. Though God may use other sources to transform us, prayer is the means in which we come into His presence, the presence of the Holy God into His throne room, and we communicate. We allow Him to communicate with us. Another reason is Dr. Steve Gaines points out that when the local church becomes a house of prayer, that church becomes a spiritual powerhouse from which God's mighty miracles will flow exponentially. This is my desire, selfishly for myself, but also for Harvest Hill. I've encountered throughout my time in ministry over and over again, when you say we're going to have a prayer service, it's typically the lowest attendance service you will have. But if we want God to move the Harvest Hill, if you want God to move in your family, move in your in your kids' life, if you want God to move in our schools, in our community, if you want God to move in your neighbor's life, in your co-worker's life, then we need to be about prayer. We need to be taking these things for God so God's mighty power can be unleashed and we can become a powerhouse. Not for our glory, but that the glory of God will be coming out in prayer is the tool for which God gives us. Finally, we cannot read through the Gospels and see, and not see that Jesus made prayer his priority. Jesus was a very busy individual. He walked into towns, people surrounded him, engulfed him, and at times they would just overwhelm the disciples. But throughout his ministry, Jesus always made a point to get away from the busyness of life and pray. Whether that was in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening, Jesus always got away to pray. As a matter of fact, when you go to the last hours of Jesus' life. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody remember what he told his disciples to do as Jesus knew what was coming towards him the next couple hours? What did he tell his disciples to do? Pray. And that's what Jesus went. He went and prayed. Matter of fact, the last breath that Jesus had on this earth before he, he gave up his life on the cross was a prayer. That God would forgive those that were doing what they were doing to him because they didn't understand what they were doing. So in the Gospel of Matthew, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7, Jesus takes time to focus on three spiritual disciplines. One is giving to the needy, then there's prayer, and then there's fasting. And what we need to understand within the context of Matthew is Jesus is speaking to a 
This was a crowd that understood prayer. This was a crowd that made prayer a part of their life. It was a Jewish tradition and custom that there were hours of prayer. So when you read through the gospel or through the book of Acts, you see these terms, the hour of prayer, and come upon them. And so the, in the Jewish life, at 9 a.m. in the morning, which was thought when the day would get going, you would set that time aside and you would pray. And then at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, there was another hour of prayer in which you would set that time aside to pray. And so throughout the Jewish day, you would have these two times that you would be praying for sure. And the Bible speaks of a third time, but we're not sure if that was just, you know, out of ritual. And we know that in the Old Testament, there were three times a day that we go and pray to the Lord. That may have been 9, 12, and 3. But the point is, Jesus is speaking to a group of people that prayed. It wasn't that they weren't doing it, but Jesus knew they needed to understand why they were doing it and how to do it. And I imagine that's where we are this morning. I, I, I can't imagine there's someone in this room that has not prayed at least once in life. If you prayed at least once in your life, raise your hand. Come on, the rest. All right, so good. All right, so we would all be with this crowd that Jesus is speaking to at this moment. Yeah, we've prayed, but Jesus says, all right, you, you are praying people, but you're not really praying the way you should, and you don't fully understand what prayer is. And so he teaches what we know is the Lord's Prayer. And when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, there are some people in here uh, that may have been taught this is a prayer you pray word for word. That is not what Jesus is teaching in this moment. He's not giving them words or a script in which they go before the Lord and just recite it word for word. That, that's fine if you do that. But Jesus is not giving a formula of prayer, but rather a model not words that we just kind of recite off. And how can we know this for sure? Well, if you read through the Gospels, if you read through Acts, and you read through Paul's letters, you find prayer. And even if we just look at Jesus' prayers, we find prayers of Jesus in which he does not pray, Our Father in heaven, I'll be your name, your kingdom come. There's times when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's times when Jesus says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from him, but not my will, but your will be done. There's times when Jesus tells disciples they're going through prayer that demons can be cast out. There's times in the book of Acts where the apostles and the church gather to prayer and they're not praying this prayer word for word. There's prayers in Paul's letters that are written out that he gives to the churches that are not word for word this prayer. And so... What Jesus is saying is it's not a word for word, but it's a model to which we can unlock and understand what this prayer is in the of God. So the first thing I want to see, and we're going to spend our time this morning just on the first four words of this prayer, our Father in heaven. The first thing I want us to understand about prayer is that prayer is a personal connection with God. It is a personal connection with God. Jesus begins by saying our Father. And the title Father in Jesus' day was always a title of respect. And when Jesus referred to God in prayer, he was always the term Father. Every prayer of Jesus but one started with Father. And the only one that did start with Father was when he was on the cross and said, My God, my God, why are you forsaken? The term Father was a term of endearment. It was a term that, that, that the Jewish people, when they heard Jesus saying, okay, you're going to say our Father, for the Jewish individual, and Jesus say, who he's teaching at this moment, that would have been ridiculous. You're to have reverence. You're to have fear before the Lord. You're supposed to, to come before him humbly, to call him Father, a term of, of endearment, a term of affection. That, that, that's unheard of. 
But Jesus is painting this picture of what he came to do. As Jesus cried out to his heavenly Father, by our faith in Jesus Christ, now we get to call God, the Almighty God, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, holy, 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 almighty, the judge. He is now my Father. The, the title Father is the term of endearment. It denotes a relationship of love and care. It's to speak of being able to have the most intimate and unbreakable relationship that is possible with God. So when Jesus says you are to say our Father, he's saying you are to come to this understanding of what I have done for you to have this unbreakable intimate relationship with my Father, who's now your Father. You have a connection. Because of this new covenant, because of what Jesus did, we now have this opportunity. An opportunity, and not many of us take advantage of it in our life, to have this deep, personal, intimate relationship with God, not only that, but a deep, personal, and intimate conversation with God. not something words spoken in the air, but what we do when we come into a place of prayer, we are lighting the power of the Trinity. Our prayers are addressed to God the Father. It is by Jesus Christ that we're even able to come into His presence because He has paved the way for us to get in. It is by the Holy Spirit inside of us as His children that cry out to God, Abba, Father. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 15 that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians chapter 4 says, but you are sons. God's in the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. For you're no longer a slave but a son. If you're a son, then you're an heir of God. And so when I come in prayer, it's not just, okay, Lord, thank you for this food. Uh, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the bed. Thank you for giving me the sleep I need. It's I'm coming in and I am unleashing the power of the Trinity when I pray. It's Jesus allowing me to talk to holy, holy God. It's the Spirit inside me giving me the words to pray and allowing me to come into presence. It's all working on when I pray. It's, it's not just something that I just do and recite. It's, it's power. That's what prayer is supposed to be. Offer a personal and deeper intimacy with the God of the heavens. But when it comes to a father, some of us have unhealthy images of a father. You know, our world has corrupted that image of fathers. We have fathers who aren't in people's lives, and fathers who are, aren't around, and have unhealthy attributes, or they're absent. When it comes to the heavenly father, we have to do away with the idea that a sinful father. We have a good father. He is a perfect father. He is a father who loves you. He is a father who disciplines you because he loves you. He is a father that is devoted to you. And a father that asks you as his child to be devoted to him. So we come into prayer and we come to understanding that I am now a child of the creator of the heavens and the earth. Son, you're now a son or a daughter. The God who sits on his throne and the heavenly being say, Holy, 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 he now looks at me and says, That's my boy. That's my daughter. That's my little girl. That's my little 
Christ, I'm able to have this intimacy. And so because of Jesus Christ, when it comes to prayer, one thing we've got to understand is this personal connection, but we have to come to a place where we empty ourselves. Because it's not because of me I'm able to pray to God the Father, it's because of Jesus Christ. One of the most popular or, or most well-known celebrity type individual that I've ever met in my life uh, was a guy named Joe Montana. And if you're football, then you've heard that name. Uh, I was a huge fan of Joe Montana. Uh, before Joe Montana was Burton Army, is that the street? They're still going strong. They look good. They look good. But uh, Joe Montana, I remember, uh, we were going, I was going to eighth grade, and my dad received a call to take on a pastorate in Illinois. And the summer we moved was the year that Joe Montana got traded from San Francisco and we lived in the southern part of Kansas City. And my mom worked at SBA. At least once during the year, she would get tickets to go to Chiefs games. I thought, this is going to be my year. I'm going to see Joe Montana in person and play. And we moved. I'm heartbroken. My parents knew that I was, he was, I was like the biggest fan of Joe Montana. And so that year for my birthday, they decided we're going to go up to where the Chiefs had their training facility, which at that point I was in Wisconsin. We're going to go to fan night, which is nice to go, and you get autographs from the players and stuff like that. And, and so as I knew we were going to do this, I got everything ready. I got myself prepped. I, I got my Joe Montana Chiefs jersey, which I still have to this day. I got the very first uh, magazine cover, which was a, bat, a Beckett a football card magazine. Remember Beckett? Yeah, you go, all right, my card went up two cents this year or this month. And, and so I had my Beckett uh, magazine and Joe Montana the very first picture of Joe Montana his Chiefs jersey. I had that in hand. I had my Chiefs hat. They're all packed. And we went to the train so You better believe I was all decked out in gear. And even though there were all these other players on the team, like Derek Thomas was still alive at that point in time, Marcus Allen was on the team, Neil Smith was on the team, even though all these players... I made a beeline straight to Joe Montana's line, and I stood there to the point that I had no other time to get anybody else's autograph because I knew that's who I came to meet. That's what I wanted to do. And when I got there, I had, I had my script ready. I was going to tell this guy, you are the best player I've ever seen. I enjoy watching you. Uh, I, I enjoy everything you do. And it is so, so, so good to meet you. Such an honor to meet you. And I was going to shake his hand. I knew it was going to mean as much to him as it did to me. And I was going to give him my Beckett cover. And he was going to sign it. And he even asked for my name. Uh-huh. Yeah. He asked for my name. And he said, all right, to Mike. And he signed Joe Montana on my magazine. Still got it. And, and I was just in awe that I, I got all prepped to meet this man that was a sinful man, but we do that all the time, don't we? Let me ask if we're on a job interview. We prep ourselves for that job interview. We get dressed a certain way. We, we get our, our, our words down the way we want to say it. We go over in the script over and over and over again. How many of us simply go on a date with our significant other? And it's more guys in this realm where we get dressed up and our wives say, that really work? And we know right at that moment what we're going to do, guys, right? What should I wear? I mean, we got to ask for permission what we should wear and what they think is best. But see, we go through all these rituals and, and we prep ourselves for certain situations, whether it's a boss or a celebrity or just going out to eat. But when it comes to prayer, you know what many of us do? We jump in on your belongings. Jump in like I deserve to be here talking to you. 
the law of Christ. When we pray together, and we pray for one another, what we do is so beautiful because we build a level of intimacy as a family of God. The Bible tells us we are praying. So my plea for you is, please, if you are not, please pray for me. Pray for me as your pastor. Pray for me and pray for my family. Pray for Jason as he leads this next generation. Pray for those who are helping Jason in Jason and youth mission. Pray for Melody as she's given wisdom to lead the children's church and, and parts of the children's ministry. Pray for Jackson as he leads the worship and pray for the worship team. Pray for Molly Oscar. Pray for our families and our marriages and our kids as we pray for you. Pray for our elders and our deacons. Pray for Harvest Hill. And know that when you pray for us, because I think sometimes we don't pray for each other because we feel like we've got to pray for ourselves. The Bible says we should be praying for one another, one another so we don't have to pray for ourselves. I should be trusting that my brothers and sisters of Christ are lifting me up before the Father as I lift them up before the Father so I don't have to pray for myself. But here's the thing that we all get caught on because in order for us to do this, in order for us to unlock this power of prayer, of praying for one another, is we have to be willing to break down some walls. I don't care. 
And I think that's part of the problem with the church. Is that people look at the church and they, they think we have it all together simply because we're not sharing our joy, or we're sharing our joy, but we're not sharing our frustrations and our sorrow and our heartaches together. We come and we give the church answer every time. So how are you doing? What's the answer? Fine. Oh, good. Michelle, how are you doing? Fine. Yeah. Bet you are. <laughs> See, we do that all the time. Y'all, you heard about our vacation, and I'm not trying to, like, you know. I know the hard one. Let me just be honest.
Thank you, thank you, thank 